Jesus is on his, in his final days of his time on earth. And he's talking with his disciples. It's, it's an interesting moment in time because his death is imminent. It's coming close. And the disciples are thrown by the change in the conversation. They've enjoyed all the miracles, all the healings, all the moments, all the wow that they've seen in Jesus as he's performed these, these life-changing things. But now he's talking about betrayal. Now he's talking about death. Now he's talking about leaving. And the disciples are, well, they're not quite sure how to take it. Moments, this is at the Passover. Moments before, they're celebrating the festivities of the Passover. They're remembering that moment back in history when God protected the Israelites from the angel of death and they celebrate that year on and year out. And Jesus now is in this moment celebrating that. But his conversation has changed. He washes their feet and they, they're seeing aspects of Jesus that they'd never seen before. They're realizing that what I thought of Jesus, there's so much more to it. Every time he opens his mouth, it's profound. Every time he does something, it's a, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. But now he's speaking of going and they just want him to stay. And Jesus senses their concern. And I love this about Jesus. And you can trust that Jesus knows exactly what you're thinking, what you're working, walking through. He says this in John 14, verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, said Thomas. You see, the details man is a little bit panicked by Jesus' conversation. He says, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come through the Father except through me. Talk about bold. It's like a drop the mic moment for, for the disciples and for Jesus in this statement. I mean, you, you tweet that and watch the response. Well, Jesus, that's fine. You have your way. I have my way. I mean, everyone's got their own way. And Jesus essentially says, no, no, I am the way. Yeah, but, but what's true for me is, and you've got your tr version of truth and we're just going to, we're good with that. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the truth. These are bold statements. These are get yourself crucified type of statements. He says, but I am the life. And that word life, I've mentioned this before, but it's the word zoe. Essentially, it says all life, both physical life and spiritual life. But it, it goes further when you look at the, the original Greek of that word. It says all life across the universe. All life that has been derived and originated and is sustained in God's self-existent life. That type of life. Jesus essentially is saying, I am God in this statement. 
And the disciples' heads are blown. They're, 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 they're struggling to grasp. He goes, I am that life. And he says, no one can come to God the Father except through me, God the Son. He goes on, he says, if you'd really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I mean, Philip's still processing this and he goes, Lord, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Catch this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, the young church, developing believers. And he writes this in Colossians 1, verse 15, the first part. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the God you can see. The invisible become visible. The writer of Hebrews, who most think is Paul, puts it this way. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Anyone who has seen me, anyone who has seen Christ, has seen the Father. My question to you today is, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Him? What's your view of Jesus? Is it, the, is it the basis of a swear word that you use? Is he just a prominent historical figure? Is he wise? Was he moral? Or is he outdated? Is he the one that you have believed on for your salvation and now he's your saviour? Do we see him that way? Or better yet, is he not, not only your saviour, but you realise that you can trust him with your whole life and you've submitted your whole life so he's both your saviour and your Lord. But can I tell you, wherever you land on the spectrum of belief in who Jesus is, however you see Jesus, whatever you think that he is, he is so much more. However you've seen him, he's greater than you know. However you've responded to him, he is worthy of so much more praise. Whatever your experience of him, there is more. Is your Jesus big enough? Is your Jesus big enough? Are you up for a challenge? Are you, are you, are you ready to open up your mind to the possibilities of who Jesus is? Are you... Are you ready for that? I mean, however you see Jesus right now, that's valid. That's where you're at. That's your view of him. But are you prepared to allow the way you see Jesus, like the disciples when they were hearing him speak, are you prepared to have your mind blown? Are you prepared to be okay with the fact that you might not know all there is to know about Jesus? Let me put it another way. Does your view of him correctly reflect who he truly is? You see, all throughout the Bible, God's narrative of redemption, Jesus is being revealed. He's the one that would come that would bruise the head of the snake in the Garden of Eden. Throughout the, throughout the Bible, the prophets hint 
at his majesty. They hint at his works. They predict what he would do. They foretell of his coming. By the time we get to the Gospels, we see Jesus. The angels declare a child has been born. The Saviour has been born. All of a sudden, we see more of what Jesus will be. And then as he walks this earth, he heals someone. And all of a sudden, people go, oh, I didn't see that before. So he's a healer. And then he performs a miracle. And you go, wow, I didn't see that about Jesus before. He's a miracle worker. And then he feeds the 5,000. And while he was a healer, he was a miracle worker. But now he, he provides for our needs. He's our provider. And, the, and, and, and everyone that surrounds him, I see, I see, I see. I see a bigger picture of who he is. My understanding and my knowledge of him is growing and then he would die on the cross and he would rise from the dead and go, wow. The disciples, the Jews of the time, even the Roman guards, people from other nations and eventually to you and I would start to realize that this wasn't just any man, but this is truly the Son of God. And God takes us on this journey of increasing understanding of who he is. He's bigger than I first thought. Actually, a few weeks ago, you may have missed it, on April 15, it was 109 years since the Titanic sunk. April 15, 1912, one of the, la- the largest cruises of the time, hit an iceberg out to sea and sunk. It's still to this day the largest maritime disaster outside of war. It was a devastating event. Close to midnight, that ship hit an iceberg which ripped open the hull and sections of that which overwhelmed its capacity to stay afloat. Over 1,500 people died. And in the aftermath and the search for answers, there was a whole lot of speculation and conclusions and things brought. But what they determined is that by the time the lookout on the deck saw the iceberg, the speed at which the boat was going didn't have time to manoeuvre. And although it manoeuvred mostly around the the, the section of the iceberg it could see, it couldn't miss the section of the iceberg that they couldn't see. There was more to the iceberg than they first thought. Never before had a ship hit an iceberg and sunk. You know, much has been said about icebergs. It's often used as an analogy for business and marketing, emotional health, psychology, a whole lot of different things. The principle of the iceberg, essentially, in essence, it says for everything that we can see, there's more that we can't see. What is visible to us is not always the big picture. My question is, could it be possible that what you know of Jesus, there's more to him that you don't know? Of what you see of him, there's actually more to be realized. Is your Jesus big enough? Is he big enough? For the Colossian believers, and this is where we're in, we're, in the, we're going through over the coming weeks, we're going through a series where we're going to walk strategically through the book of Colossians. This little letter that Paul wrote to a young church in the city of Colossae, helping them develop, helping them to grow, helping them put down roots into the truth of God. This is where we're at. And to this church, 
to them as believers, there was more to see. And Paul is writing to this group from far. He's stuck in prison. It blows my mind. I, I, what strikes me about this is that God's purpose for Paul is not limited by his circumstances. It gives me great hope that God's purpose for my life is not limited by my situation. I can, like last week, keep it simple. I can listen, obey, and watch God do his work through my obedience. And this is what's happening for Paul. And Paul is, and his obedience is blessing us even today. But Paul is prayerful and he's thankful of what he has heard of these incredible believers. In Colossians 1, 3 to 5, he says this. You see the heart of Paul. We always pray. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard. We've heard of what you know now and what you see now. Your faith in Christ, your love for all people, and the hope that you've got in eternity. We see that. We see what you know now. As a loving father in the faith, he's concerned for their vulnerability. He's aware of their vulnerability. You see, in the context of that day, the common practice of worship was to worship many gods. And there would be religious requirements to worship all these different gods. It wasn't a requirement out of love. It was more out of an appeasement, out of fear to try and Keep the gods happy. And if something went wrong in the town, often the blame would be focused on those that didn't meet the requirements. The people lived in a close-knit community. You knew everyone's business. It wasn't like now where we live behind six-foot fences and closed doors, but it was you knew if people weren't following the religious requirements. And for the vulnerable, for the ones that were had now no longer given themselves to worship and appease the many gods, but have given themselves to worship the one true God, they were being noticed of not fulfilling the religious requirements. So when something like an earthquake, like a famine, like something dramatic happened, it would be the Christians that would be blamed for the bad things that are happening in their town. Such was their vulnerability to personal attack. You can, can you feel the pressure coming on these young believers? As well as that, they're under Roman occupation. And so Caesar wasn't just seen as king, but was declared as Lord, as God over them. And so the the the... The, the command that was to come off your lips was that Caesar is Lord. And now for these young Christians, they realise and they've discovered that no, Caesar isn't Lord, Christ is Lord. But, but again, as they declare that in their own lives, it brings pressure. They're vulnerable to the, to the Roman influence and pressure that comes. And the pressure that comes is to make Jesus small, is to see him less than who he truly is. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to false teachers. This is what's all happening in this moment. False teachers who are denying the greatness of Jesus. He's just one of many gods, they would say. His work on the cross wasn't complete. You've got to add to it. You've got to do this. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to eat a certain type of food. You've got to do this and do that and do this and do that. And they try to add to the gospel message. And then they would 
They would say, no, no, you've got to know this certain level before you can be saved, before you can qualify into the kingdom. And they add and they complicate and they diminish their view of Jesus making him small. But Paul knows there's more to see. And my question to you is, is your Jesus big enough? Is he big? Do you see him correctly to who he truly is? I love Paul. He doesn't give up on them. He says, so we have not, in verse 9 of chapter 1, we have not stopped praying for you since we have heard about you. This is his prayer for me. This is my prayer for you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know what that means? We pray that you would see Jesus for who he truly is, that your mind would be open to the fullness of God. And then the way you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And catch this, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Essentially what Paul's saying is not just see the tip of the iceberg, but see the depth of who Jesus is. Not just stay on the surface level of our knowledge of God, but dive down deep. Pursue more, hunger more, discover more, see more. Is your Jesus big enough? I've had the privilege of teaching Bible college to a great number of students over the last couple of years. And this year we're discovering what it means to be a good theologian. You know, we often associate a theologian to someone who's academic, someone who has gone further in their studies. But did you know you're all theologians? You're all theologians. You know the word theology? Often and most broadly, it's understood as the study of God. But when you actually break the word down, you get a better definition. Theos, theos of theology is God. But ology comes from the word logos, which is words about or to speak of. So essentially what theology is, is how we speak of or how we put words around who God is. We are all theologians because we all speak of God a certain way by the way that we see who He is. Even an atheist is a theologian because even though they may not believe in the existence of God, they still speak about God in their own view and their own revelation of Him. The question isn't, are you a theologian? The question is, are you a good theologian? Because the purpose of theology was never to know about God It's always to come into knowing Him. Not just know know stuff about God, but to know God personally. That is the goal of good theology, is to take us into closeness with God. The goal of good theology is to talk of Him more correctly. As you discover the very essence of who He is, you speak of him more correctly because when you see God more correctly and more fully, you worship him more correctly and more fully. And when you see worship God more correctly and more fully, you actually live your lives more correctly and more fully. It's found in this humble approach. Put simply, I might not know all there is to know, See, when you approach the Bible, when you approach Jesus, 
If you come with the attitude, I know all there is to know about God, it will stunt your growth quicker than anything. It was pride that sunk the Titanic and pride will take you down and sink your life quicker than you know. Whatever you know of Jesus, he is bigger than you think. However you've seen Jesus, he is greater than you know. However you've responded to him, he is so much more worthy of praise. And whatever you experience of him, there is more. Is your Jesus big enough? I wonder if the band could come and join me. You know, as we move through Colossians 1, Paul is about to stop praying and take us to school. I, I, I don't know about you, I, I get the sense of excitement in Paul as he's starting to write this. He's, there's echoes of his letter to Ephesians where he's going, oh, that you would know him better. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I, I could almost hear him. Can I tell you what he's like? In the prison cell that he, I don't, I don't know what the prison was exactly like for Paul, but I, I can imagine Paul almost getting excited in his seat as he's trying to pen. I don't know if he's chained to a Roman guard or what his situation was, but I'm sure his response to his circumstances were different to what you would normally see for a prisoner because Paul is getting a little bit excited here because he goes, come on, I'm going to tell you what Jesus is truly like. Let me tell you about Jesus. You've only seen the tip of the iceberg, but let me tell you the full picture of who He is. There is so much more. Don't fear the society. Don't fear those false teachers. I'm about to equip you more than you could imagine. Oh, He's getting ready. I hope you're ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. We're about to read it. Before I read it, let me set it up. I had you, didn't I? Had you ready? There's always been barriers to our ability to know God. Always been barriers. The first barrier, academics call the ontological barrier. Sorry to bring some big words into your morning. Essentially, it's this. We're different to God. That's what it means. Different substance. We are human. He is spirit. We are finite. He is infinite. We are limited in our knowledge. He is all-knowing. We are mortal. He is eternal. We're different. I can know you because we're human. We're of the same substance. But there is this limitation between a barrier between us and God because we are different. That's why Isaiah writes, my thoughts, speaking of God's words, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than yours. That's why there's different. It's not my fault, it just is. It's a barrier to knowing God. There's another barrier, and this is our fault, sin, where we miss the mark of God's intent for our life. Sin will blind you to the full knowledge of Christ. It will harden your heart. It will cause you to not fully understand all the things of God. It clouds your view of Him. And as it clouds your view of Him, it clouds your view of yourself. And it clouds your view of others. That is the 
the detrimental power of sin over our life. And so there's this limitation to our ability to know God. I can sense Paul shouting through the pages. He's probably saying, Ben, stop talking and let me speak. And he says this in verse 15. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You see, the ontological barrier has been crushed because God has become flesh and He's dwelt among us. So no longer can't I see God, but I can see God and I can see God in Christ. I can know Him. I can see Him. I can touch Him. I can feel Him. And not only that, He knows me. There's nothing about my life that He doesn't understand. He goes, what you're walking through, I understand because I've walked in your shoes. He is the visible image of the invisible God. I can know God because Christ has made Himself known to us. No longer distant, but close. He existed. Come with me. He existed. Make sure that's on the screen. Verses 15. Through the 20, we're going to follow it along. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Although fully man, God, Jesus is fully God. He is eternal and He is supreme. No matter what title someone gives themselves, whether they're the supreme leader, whether they're king, whether they're Lord, Jesus is above all. He is supreme over all. His name is above every name. This is our Jesus. He's bigger than you think. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see. All of it, all of it made in and through Jesus, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. He is not one of the gods. He is the Creator God. This is our Jesus. Is your Jesus big enough? Is He big enough in your eyes? Everything was created through Him and for Him. Our being, our worth and our value. It originates in Him. It is derived by Him. And catch this. He existed before anything else and He holds holds all creation together. We are sustained in Him. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. Is He big enough in your eyes? All life. And if that's not enough, Paul keeps going. He said, Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. As believers, we are found in Him. We are kept in Him. We are welcomed to Him. We are led by Him. This is our Jesus. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. If He didn't rise, we wouldn't rise. So He is first in everything. First. Nothing is in front of Jesus. Nothing will overtake Jesus. Nothing will come in front of Him in our lives because He is first. First. This is the supremacy of God. This is how big your Jesus is. He is first in everything and so therefore should be first in our life. Let's not dethrone Christ, but let's place Him in His rightful place. For God in His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. I got to share this with you. That word fullness is the word pleroma. It means the sum total of all divine power and attribute. Everything of God is in Jesus. Everything of God is in Him. Not under some rental arrangement, but permanently dwelling in Jesus. The fullness of God is in Christ. 
He is supreme. He is God. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am God, he says. This is our Jesus. Is Jesus big enough in your life? Oh, come on, stand to your feet. I'm getting ready to praise. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace, which means He brought wholeness with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That final barrier of sin has been broken. It has been sold by Jesus Christ. We can know Him. We can know Him. We can see Him for who He truly is because of Jesus. Whatever you know of Jesus, He's bigger than you think. However you've seen Jesus, He's greater than you know. However you've responded to Him, He is so much worthy of more praise. And whatever you experience of Him, there is more. There is more. There is more. Come on, why don't we lift up our hands? Why don't we start to worship the God that we serve? Why don't we acknowledge His name that is above every name? He is great. He is mighty. And He is your God. Come on, let's worship together.